Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. In this episode, a report that details a deadly campus shooting. This week, an ad hoc committee put together by the University of Arizona Faculty Senate released its investigation into the events that led up to the October shooting of Hydrology and Atmospheric Sciences Department head Dr. Thomas Meixner. It details nearly a year of alleged harassing behavior by Meixner's accused killer, Murad Dervish, against students and faculty throughout that program. Joining me now is AZPM's Paula Rodriguez, who has been following the investigation since the day of the shooting. Paula, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And a quick warning for our listeners before we start. This episode will get into the details of the report, including personal accounts of harassment and the use of threatening and graphic language. The basics of the incident are fairly well known at this point. Dervish was expelled from the University of Arizona for his behavior toward then-colleagues and instructors. He's alleged to have refused orders to stay off campus and cease contact with many of those involved. Ultimately, he allegedly returned to campus with a gun and shot and killed Dr. Meixner before fleeing Tucson. He was caught close to the U.S.-Mexico border. Let's start at the beginning of this report, Paula. What's the first detail that jumped out at you? Well, the Faculty Senate released a forward along with the report, and the forward was very poignant. It went to say that the university failed in its lack of risk management, and it continued this theme of distrust within the community, and honestly, that the university didn't do anything to stop that problem. Those are some pretty big accusations to start the report with. How far did this go back? Well, the report goes back and actually lays out the timeline of events starting all the way back in November of 2021 with an event that led to Dervish's expulsion. Um, He attempted to appeal a grade with Thomas Meixner because he was the department head. And that led to an argument between him and Thomas Meixner. There was yelling. And in the report, it said that the argument could be heard throughout the first floor of the Harshbarger building. So that eventually led to his suspension and him being barred from campus. So according to the report, Dervish did not follow the rules of his suspension. What was he doing? Well, throughout this time period, um, he was continuing to harass faculty, staff, and even a student virtually and in person. And at times it was on and off campus. There was a no contact order put in place. And that is an order through the university that would stop a person from contacting another. So at this time, he shouldn't have been reaching out, but he was continuing that communication. So what did the hydrology and atmospheric science staff and faculty do at that point? Well, they contacted the University of Arizona Police Department to intervene, and they also reported him to the uh, UA Office of General Counsel, which is the university staff lawyers, the dean of students, and the Office of Institutional Equity, which houses Title IX. So the university outside of the department is now involved. How did all of these other departments you mentioned react? A police report was first filed um, in the beginning of January 2022. Uh, A few weeks after that, they sent 
the case to the university's threat assessment management team. It was a group that was created after a 2002 shooting that happened on campus in the nursing school. January 2022, the threat assessment management team said there was no immediate threat and they sent it back to the dean of students. Two days after that, the Haas department moved their courses online. So what did the dean of students do at that point? The dean of students expelled Dervish February 2nd for failure to comply with university directions. He attended Zoom classes and made unwanted contact with faculty. And at one point, an email was sent to students and faculty within the Haas department telling them that Dervish is expelled to call 911 if he's seen and to report any interactions that they might have with him. Okay, so we know that Dervish doesn't stay away as he's told to. How long after this February 2nd, 2022 expulsion until he's next seen on campus? About a month later, a police report was filed when he's seen less than a quarter mile near Centennial Hall. Um, A Haas student reported him and the University of Arizona Police Department had no exclusionary order at the time and there was no injunction against harassment on file. So there was no arrest. Um, The report openly wonders why, though, he was not arrested for him trespassing. Because with the expulsion came an order of trespass or against trespass. Yes, he was not allowed to be on campus. So how long until he's spotted on campus? After that incident? 10 days. By that point, two things have already happened. A no contact order was issued by the Dean of Students for the four Haas faculty members, and Dervish was attempting to buy a gun at that time online. Um, And at one point, when he was attempting to buy the gun online, the gun seller actually reports him to the Tucson Police Department saying that in a conversation with him, Dervish had told him, quote, a couple of bucks doesn't matter as I'm going to kill several people and myself. So Dervish at this point is barred from interacting with some faculty members. Um, He's not allowed on campus. How long until there's a report of him breaking all those orders? And I guess this would be the third time. Well, the associate department head reported an off-campus encounter with Dervish at a CVS on March 20th, shortly after he was spotted on campus a second time. Dervish was actively trying to talk with the professor. He turned him down and the department head would then seek legal counsel from the university. He told the university police office of general counsel and the threat assessment group that he did so because he didn't feel adequately supported. And again, this was the associate department head, not department head Tom Meixner, who was ultimately killed. At this point, there are reports of this going beyond the Department of Hydrology and Atmospheric Sciences, correct? Yes, there was a threat against the Dean of Students Administrator. The incident is reported to UAPD, and Dervish was charged with two misdemeanors. However, the UAPD doesn't send information in regards to Haas faculty being harassed to the Pima County Attorney's Office when they were sending the information from the dean's incident. Um, UAPD attempted to serve court papers, but he refused to sign them. And at the same time, when the police were leaving, neighbors told them that he was violent. This wasn't the only time that Dervish was served legal papers in this whole saga, was it? 
No, going back to the same Haas associate department head, he took out an order of protection against Dervish that was never served. He told the university, I have done everything I possibly can in my capacity to protect myself and my family and seek legal recourse as an individual, but to no avail. But not everyone felt the same way and that an order of protection would have helped them. Professor Dr. Ayeta Tulla was greatly concerned about what could have pushed Murad Dervish over the edge. What are triggers to escalation or what are triggers, like if he's going to do something, what's a trigger that might set it off? I thought if he had been served with a protection order with my name on it, that that would just be another trigger and another reason to target me. Dervish went through an eviction, which also may have involved some legal steps. Then in September, less than a month before the shooting, UAPD submits a criminal report to prosecutors that detail 20 total threats to Haas faculty. The officer who submits that report says he didn't believe Dervish would come back to campus. That report was in a packet of papers sent to the Pima County Attorney's Office, and the report says that UAPD didn't indicate any sense of urgency. And again, for people just tuning in, Professor Atala, who we just heard from, he was one of the professors targeted allegedly by Dervish. And all of these quotes that we are talking about come out of the Faculty Senate report, which you can read on our website. So, Paula, in the months leading up to that UAPD report, did Dervish back off? No, there's no mention of further in-person interactions in the report, but he did continue to email, call, and text faculty and students. That includes a message to Dr. Meixner in May that says, You are the most disgusting piece of blank I ever met. I hope someone blows your blanking head off. Throughout the course of this, faculty were told by the university that legal restrictions prohibited them from sharing information with anyone outside of a legal setting due to federal privacy laws. Professor Atullah explained to us the toll that keeping that bottled up had on him. That was intensely isolating. Getting all of this vitriol like day after day and just not being able to talk about it with your friends and your colleagues and not being able to share what you were going through was intensely isolating. Actually, because they felt they couldn't openly talk about what was going on, some of the faculty didn't even know that others were experiencing the same sort of harassment from Dervish. So we have a police report that's sent to the county prosecutor in September. Now what? We've been doing this since January of 2022. Well, really since November of 21, but things ramping up since January of 22. We're now into September. What's going on? Well, Murad Dervish allegedly shows up on campus on October 5th with a gun and kills Dr. Thomas Meixner. There's a lot of trauma from this whole event, especially with the faculty that I spoke with. Like Atullah, he said he did everything he could, and for him, being alive today was just pure coincidence. Speaking with Atullah, he believed that if he was in the building that day, he would have been killed. What I learned from grad students who were in my old office was that he came to my office looking for me about a half hour before the shooting. From what I can piece together, 
I either would have still been in the building in my new office at that point, or I would have just left. He told me that to some degree after the murder of Meixner, he faced a lot of survivor's guilt. There's no reason that I'm alive and Tom isn't outside of just dumb luck, stupid chance. And if I had been there and he saw me first, you know, who knows what the reaction would have been like. I mean, certainly I'd probably be dead. So now a lot of victims are seeking mental health services and have to live with what happened for the rest of their lives. And according to the Faculty Senate report, Dervish was allegedly looking for four professors that day and only found Dr. Meixner. So what was the university's response to this report that came out? Well, for transparency, we received an advanced copy of the report on Monday. After reading it, we asked the university for a response. On Tuesday, after again asking for a response, they sent us a written statement saying that the report reached sweeping conclusions based on misleading characterizations and the selective use of facts and quotations. We asked them to clarify what was misleading in the report, and as of Thursday afternoon, they have not responded. The university statement also said they have hired an outside firm to conduct an assessment of campus safety and security. When that firm was hired in October, UA President Robert Robbins sent a letter to the university community saying that the report would be ready in 75 days. Well, we are now more than a month past that 75 days and a report has not been released. You spoke with one of the report's authors, University of Arizona law professor Barack Orbach. What did he say about the findings? He said that it wasn't necessarily one or two things that set a sour tone, but that it was a trend where safety for faculty, staff, and students was not prioritized. In the report, they mentioned past cases where similar barriers prevented other victims of harassment from receiving the support they needed. To that point, Orbach's biggest emphasis was that the university's current procedures prioritize legal risks over safety risks. If what we do is only what is limited in our job description, we are not going to do our job well. And the notion of safety, as we have found out, is limited only to compliance with particular sets of laws and regulation, which means that if there is no violation, then this is not an issue that the university should address. In that sense, the university doesn't protect safety, it addresses legal risks. The last thing he said was that there was a large failure in oversight when it comes to violence risks. The committee found that there was no singular office that addresses harassment and risk, only the legalities of it all. In the report, they found that there are just not enough units addressing this. So far, we've mentioned faculty and administrators, but students were also involved. Paolo, we've talked a lot about how faculty and staff were treated through the process. Let's now talk about one of the shooting suspect, Murad Dervish's, one-time colleagues. We should note that we're not using the student's name or identifying them because they're still fearful and don't want to be recognized by anyone. So, Paola, what's their story? The student grew up in Tucson wanting to go to the university, which was helped by the top ranking of the Haas department. Their undergrad was relatively normal for a student, but in their senior year when they first met Murad Dervish, that's when things started to take a turn for the worse. 
In the beginning, they didn't really think much of Dervish's approaches, but in September of 2021, that's when Dervish started to express what the student called obsessive behavior. What did that look like? A lot of the harassment the student faced was over email, but the majority of it all happened in person when the student couldn't really escape it all. In total, the student suspects that it was upwards of 30 times that he tried to ask them out. The student told me that he would stare at them in class, tried to talk to them before they left class. Even at one point, he was showing up outside of classes that he wasn't in to try to bump into them. So he knew the student's schedule without the student ever telling him. But it was more than just interactions in and around classes and the Harshbarger building where the department is housed, correct? Well, on top of everything else, he would also follow the student to their car. They had to accommodate by stopping in different parking garages to deter him away and change the ways the student would go back to their home so he wouldn't follow them. The student's friends would walk them to class or home, and eventually the student had to stop attending classes in person. And for their degree, that's a really hard thing to do. Did his behavior change after he was placed on suspension, which we talked about in the first half of the show? No, he would actually talk about it with the student and still ask the student out on a date, saying things like in the emails they shared with us, hey, if you're going to class today, maybe we should get a piece of pizza after, but you have to pay now that I don't have a job. So the messages and in-person interactions were fairly consistent. When did the student start seeking outside help? The student didn't look for help until after Dervish was expelled in February 2022. They were extremely scared of what he might have done if the student had said anything, especially after the November incident we talked about in the first half. And that was the altercation between Dervish and Dr. Meixner over changing a grade. Yes. And they truly thought by not saying anything, the circumstance would eventually stop on its own. But when they realized it didn't, they talked with their advisor. And because they told a university employee who is a mandated reporter, they had to report it to the Office of Institutional Equity. After filing that report, did anything change? The student says they received two follow-up emails from the Office of Institutional Equity, but they felt the emails didn't really offer support besides letting the student know they were a resource. Honestly, the student even mentioned that they didn't really know what the Office of Institutional Equity was or what they could do, and the office didn't make it clear on what they could do either, the student said. So I understand the student eventually began filing police reports. That was in the Faculty Senate report, and they talked about it with you also. At what point did they start filing those police reports? Well, the student filed the first police report right after the Office of Institutional Equity report was filed. They were then advised by a UAPD officer to block Dervish's email, but that actually didn't work. The emails still came through, but instead they would arrive as grayed out emails and a message saying that the sender is blocked. At the time, the student was considering a restraining order, and in order to seek one, evidence of any harassment is needed, like the emails. So if the messages were truly blocked, the officer's advice would hinder the student's ability to make a case for a restraining order. In turn, they decided not to move forward with one because of the fear that Dervish would have access to their home address. So it sounds like interactions with Dervish continued after all of this. 
What did the student do after seeing all this continue? The student says they continued to send the emails to the UAPD officer, but received minimal follow-up. In total, they filed about five police reports. Did the student seek any other official support at that point? The student received a no-contact order from the dean of students, but again, Dervish was still allegedly contacting the student despite that order. Just a reminder for our listeners, the student we're talking about is still fearful, so we agreed to protect their anonymity. So, Paola, what happened next? The student had two Zoom meetings with the UAPD officer that had been working their case. Besides them going over basic protection strategies, the student told me they always sort of felt like they were alone. During one of the meetings, the student was asking for a blanket no-contact order for the entire department. After the officer told the student that wasn't possible, they were fed up with the lack of support. And I just said, so you're, you're not going to do anything until somebody gets killed, are you? Verbatim. This particular sergeant just looked at me. You didn't say anything. That incident is also recounted in the faculty senate's report. The report did not cite a transcript of that exchange, just the student's recounting of the story. The student also told us, to the best of their knowledge, the Zoom meeting was not recorded. The student said they truly felt helpless. It was very discouraging. I realized that I was putting in all this time and effort because it's not fun having to file a police report about the same thing over and over and have nothing be done. But I think that's when I realized, like, wow, there is some kind of disconnect here. There's nothing's going to happen. And it's seriously going to take a tragedy for them to even look at this. We've talked about what the student was seeking from official channels. What about personal support during all of this? Well, they actually didn't tell their family until after the second or third police report. So throughout this whole time, the student is feeling extremely isolated. The same feelings that we heard from faculty. One of the biggest reasons I didn't tell them initially was I didn't want anybody to worry about me. I was more worried about others. The student eventually found out that others in the Haas department were facing similar struggles with Dervish and sought support from them. Did the interactions with Dervish stop before the shooting? He eventually stopped in April of 2022, six months after it all started. But the student still lives in fear. In our conversation, they confided to me that they still sleep with a baseball bat. I'm always looking over my shoulder, doing like 360s while I'm walking places. Uh, If I hear something outside of a door, I kind of jump. I've never been the type to be jumpy before um, any of this happened. Was the student in the building at the time of the shooting in October? Fortunately, no. The student was out of town but was flying back when they received news over text when their friends were checking in to make sure the student wasn't in the building. I went into shock. I was alone on this plane, crying into a random woman's arms, and trying to tell her that something is wrong, but I can't get the words to come out. I have friends texting me that they love me. Oh, he's jiggling the doorknobs. It was very real. That was the longest flight of my life, getting home. The student then landed in Phoenix to make the drive home when they received news that Thomas Meixner was killed. 
The only thing that kept me calm that night was I do remember there was a really big storm and I was driving right into it and it was kind of symbolic in a way because I knew right when I got back home it was just going to be a storm. In the end, this was an event, a, a tragedy they saw coming for months from what it sounds like. How do they feel knowing that? The students said it best. I've had to grieve along with navigating so much pain and trauma from having put so much time into making sure that our department wasn't forgotten about when we were being harassed and nobody listened. So grieving while there is pure shock and anger and sadness of knowing that you knew that this would happen, it is the absolute worst I told you so ever in my book. I did not want to be right about this. This is never something that anybody should have to sit here and feel helpless about. Paula, thanks so much for all your work on this story. Thank you for having me. Again, AZPM reached out to the University of Arizona for comment after we and the university received the Faculty Senate's report. We were sent a written statement saying the report, quote, reached sweeping conclusions based on misleading characterizations and the selective use of facts and quotations. We asked a university spokesperson to clarify what it found misleading in the report, but did not receive a response. You can read the Faculty Senate's full report as well as the university's statement on our website. On our website, you can also hear additional interviews with other hydrology and atmospheric science students. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.